Good evening. I like that sound, you know, remember you Dracula? Good evening. I will soak your blood, you know. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Your grace, Lord. Um, you have a knowledge of everything, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, for your knowledge. We thank you for your wisdom, Lord. Um, your wisdom is, is awesome, Lord. It comes from above. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as you speak to us tonight through your word, Lord, let it come alive for us, Lord. Your word is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path, Lord. You said it makes wise the simple. And so, Lord, give us our portion, Lord. Um, we know in the world we live in, it's crazy. And so, Lord, we know, Lord, we need, we need you. We need to be settled down, Lord. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem, Lord. Pray for, for Israel. Pray, Lord, that um, we see these times, Lord, and we know, Lord, as we see these things, Lord, we know that our redemption is drawing nigh. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we let our light so shine before men that they could see our good deeds and glorify you, Father. And so, Lord, we know, Lord, we're not ashamed of the gospel, knowing it is the power of God unto salvation. And so, Lord, use our lives for your glory, Lord. Teach us the things we don't know, Lord, and the things that we do, Lord, make them an anchor to our soul. And as David prayed, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer, I do pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, we in 2 Kings chapter, Kilo, my mic, son. 2 Kings chapter 21. Um, as we study through tonight, I want you to get a clear picture of cycles in the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. Like as you study the book of Kings, you may say, oh, this guy was a good king. This guy was a bad king. This guy was a good king. This guy was a bad king, bad king, good king. You know, and you know, a lot of churches and over the years you hear people say, well, generational curses, and they do this because they fathered it. They say, did this. No, people do things because they want to do things. You know, and here's a good description of how Ahaz, who was Hezekiah's father, was a wicked king. Hezekiah was a man after God's own heart. There was no king like him ever. And then here's this young man that comes on the scene. After Hezekiah dies, Hezekiah became king at about 25. He reigned for 29 years. He died at about 54 years of age. And, and now he has this son who he prayed for 15 years. Hezekiah was sick, remember? He said, Lord, you know, you remember how I walked before you. And, you know, paraphrased it. And he was wept bitterly. And the Lord gave him 15 years. But during those 15 years, three years into the 15 years, he has a son by the name of Manasseh. And so tonight we'll all meet Manasseh. And you'll see Hezekiah, a great godly king, loved the Lord, knew when to repent of his sin and understood his place in the kingdom of, of God and, and so forth in regards to the king of being the king of Judah. And, he, and he, you know, he died and he slept with his fathers in Jerusalem. He, and, and he's off the scene right now. Now here this king comes on named Manasseh. He reigns in his place. However, he's the extreme, and I mean, when we go through this, he is the extreme opposite of his father. The extreme opposite of his father. You may ask the question, how can one have a godly father and turn out so wicked? 
Well, ask Eli. He had sons, Hophni and Phinehas. You know, you can have, ask Aaron. His sons in Leviticus chapter 10 offered up strange fire to the Lord. Through the Bible, it could be a good father and bad kids. It could be good kids with awful parents. And all of us sitting here know that we could come from different households, different places. Some of us were awful kids with good parents. Some of us had, you know, horrible parents and turned out to be pretty decent people. So it can go that way even in our life. And he, this man, Manasseh, is the epitome of evil. So look at verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name, this is his mother's name, Hephzibah, so this is Manasseh. His name means forgetting. What a mother's name, too. Half Ziba. Half Ziba. You know, what a name. But his name means forgetting, and he would forget all the foundational things that his father laid before him in regards to the holy things of God, the law of Moses, the word of God, would be laid aside and cast away from him. You know, like some parents feel guilty. You know, the Bible says, train up a child in the way it should go, and as they grow older, it won't depart from it. That's a principle. You can teach your kid the Bible until they turn blue. They still got to live it out. Amen. They still got to live it out. I taught them. I put them in Christian school, and I, they was in Sunday school every Sunday with us, and they go out and they rob the bank and shot everybody up, and I don't know how it happened because they had to apply truth themselves. And here Manasseh, he's... This wicked man, it means forgetting. He casts aside, anytime you cast aside the word of God, you replace it with something. You have to. He replaced it with sin, debauchery, idolatry. In the law of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 8, I want you to write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, verse 11 write this down. It says, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7. Write these down because it seems like it's old, but it's for us today. It says, remember, Deuteronomy 9, 7. Do not forget how you provoked the Lord to God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place you have been rebellious against the Lord. Here's a young man, 12 years old, puberty. You can rest assured that this smells like trouble if a 12-year-old start running anything. You get a 12-year-old running something, you're in trouble, let alone a nation. And he reigned for 55 years, the verse says. So that tells us this. Out of all the kings in Judah, southern kingdom, all the kings in Israel, the northern kingdom, he, out, he, out, he reigned longer than any other king, yet he's the most wicked of all of them. Imagine having a president for 55 years. I don't think we would, we, you can make it. Imagine having a president for 50, the same person for 55 years. He reigns longer than any other king. The only person I think near him is maybe Jothan. I think Jothan reigned for, I mean, not Jothan, Uzziah, rather, reigned for 52 years, and his son took over Jothan after him. 
So he's a wicked man. He seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had delivered or destroyed before the children of Israel. He is a wicked man that knows how to seduce. Look what it says in verse 2. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, if you go back to Leviticus, like some people say, well, why would you read the Old Testament? That is antiquated. I'm a, I go to a church and all they teach is the New Testament. Well, I feel sorry for you. Because the Old Testament, the, there were examples for us to live by, to learn. Look, the New Testament church, when it was birthed, they didn't have a New Testament Bible. They had the Old Testament scriptures. And so when you read the Old Testament, most people never read the Old Testament. They skip it. You know, Leviticus was a book that gave Levitical priesthood, but it gave the nation of Israel a compass, a spiritual compass, that if you do this, you know, God will bless you. If you don't do this, God will be against you. And in Leviticus 18, it says, for the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own, any of your own nation or a stranger in your own nation or a stranger who dwell among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you. And thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. You know what God used Israel for? When they went into the promised land, God raised up the nation of Israel to be a chastening rod to cleanse the land of sin. That's what they were used for. It wasn't in their power. It wasn't in their might. He said there was nations in Leviticus, I mean Deuteronomy chapter 7. He chose them because they were the least of the nations. They were the least of the nations. When you read 2 Chronicles and you put all this together, it says that moreover all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. They were doing such wickedness is beyond our imagination. Well, I guess we live in the United States of America. Maybe it's not beyond our imagination. And it says in verse 3, for he rebuilt, to redo something, I mean to do something that already existed, but do it over. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah's father destroyed. So he rebuilt every single thing that his father tore down. When you read 2 Kings chapter 18, you know, he tore down, broke the sacred pillars. He cut down wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. That's what, Hez that's what Hezekiah did. But here his son comes along and said, oh, I know my father broke these things. Well, let me build back up because I like it this way. And look what he says. Which Hezekiah's father had destroyed, he raised up altars to Baal, and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Notice, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. All the hosts of heaven, you know what they're talking about? Y'all probably said, what in the world is that? It has nothing to do with us. Oh, yeah, zodiac signs. <laughs> Astrology. Christians say, I'm a, I'm a cancer and he's a, um, 
You know, they read their horoscopes. You got Christians that believe in their horoscopes. How many of y'all read your horoscope? No, I'm only joking. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> what if you read your horoscope and it said, tomorrow this time, a bad dog going to bite you. <laughs> so he breaks, you know, he, he brings back the worship which came from Tyre and the Sidonians. This is what he's bringing back that Ahab instituted. The, you know, through Ahab kingship, he had that type of worship through his wife Jezebel, who was Phoenician, which is modern day Lebanon. This is the worship they brought back into the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had this problem, and God stopped the rain. Remember, it didn't rain when Elijah told Ahab, he said, look, there will be neither rain nor dew except at my word. And it didn't rain in the land for three years and six months. That was because of their sin and because they worshiped Baal. Here, Manasseh already know what happened to the northern kingdom. They were carried away. He brings all of it back. Isn't that something? Notice what it says. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. And he set up an altar in the house of the Lord to false deities. And anything that, is, that we depend on more than God is idolatry. Any person, any job, any money, anything we depend on more than God is idolatry. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord has said, In Jerusalem, I will put my name Manasseh is now taking the Lord's name in vain. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. This is arrogance. You know what he's saying? We're not worshiping the God of my father the same way he did it. Look, we, look, we, we got a new way of worship. Look, this is a new generation, and we don't do nothing like the old generation. The old generation, they all antiquated. They still singing hymns. They still reading their Bible, the paper Bible. We got electric devices now. We don't do all of that no more. That's old. Oh, let me tell you. Oh, 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 time out. Everything that's old is ain't not wrong. Everything that's new is not wrong. And you have to know the difference. And this, and, this, and this is how Satan oftentimes gets the next generation to think they need to remove all the things that has been set up before them. He loves to do that to us. And it happened in our generation. So it's generation after generation. Well, why would I go to church on a Wednesday? Look at all these people here tonight on a Wednesday night. Who would go to church on a Wednesday night? Do you know that most churches across America don't even have a Wednesday night Bible study? They forgot all about a, a midweek Bible study. And, and, and we don't need to remove everything that we learned. And I'm not an old fogey. I understand certain things. I know about Facebook, Instagram, threads. You know, I, I'm not like out of touch with, you know, technology. I'm not out of touch with none of that stuff. And it's important stuff. It is important stuff. And it's dangerous too. It's dangerous too. So I'm not out of touch with those things. Those things have their place and they are useful. I love technology. Any of y'all guys know me? I love, I'm an old techie, I guess. I don't know. I like technology. But it won't replace everything. It just can't replace a book. If I read a book and cross lines in it, you, know, you read and you write, you memorize better. People who journal and take notes, their memory is a lot better than somebody just reading a screen. 
Psychologists even know that. Secular psychologists know that. And so oftentimes the Bible says, look, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set up. In Proverbs 22, verse 28, it says, do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set up. The average church doesn't even think about, well, why, why, why would you have church services? Why would you do this? Why would you have a prayer meeting? On a Sunday night, you could ride through all of Philadelphia. 90, I'm thinking 95% of the churches are closed. Why would you have a prayer night on a Sunday night? You know the Eagles play. You think I care about the Eagles that much? We should be at church as much as we can. Twice a week is not even enough. The church in Acts, it's in Acts 5.42. It says that, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It was daily. They had a relationship daily. And look what happens when you get rid of all the old stuff. That, that's old-fashioned what Hezekiah was doing. Manasseh probably said, that, that was so, my father, all that holy stuff, talking about being prayer meetings and all that stuff is so outdated. But look what he replaced it with, verse 6. Also he made his son, notice, pass through the fire. Just like his grandfather Ahaz did in the in 2 Kings 16, uh, verse 3, Manasseh offered his own son to Molech. Molech was the national god for the Ammonites, the descendants of Lot, and, and was forbidden by the God of Israel to worship in such an evil way. It was forbidden. It was so, you know, God was so in touch with Molech that he gave them a specific law. So when they put their kids to the fire, they were violating God's word. He gave them a specific law in Leviticus 18, verse 21. And he says, you shall not let your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God, for I am the Lord. And he, they had a specific command or edict or precept to not let your sons go through the fire. They would put their kids through the fire. It's like abortion is murder. They said, well, abortion, no, abortion is murder. They were putting their kids through the fire. We don't have the right to take anybody's life. And it is murder. And we say, oh, well, this is a political thing. No, no, and then they kind of calling it something else now about, uh, you, know, you know, you have a right to choose your own medical care. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. It's murder. It was murder in the Old Testament. It's murder in the New Testament. If you take anybody's life, it is murder. And this is premeditated murder. It's not to kill. You know, thou should not kill is a bad translation of the commandments. It should be thou should not murder. God was talking about premeditated murder because he had provisions for somebody. A manslayer could flee and go to another city. But here he's, they put their kid, imagine taking your baby, putting them on a statue that's burned in fire hot. And you hear your baby sizzling on it. And they would have somebody on the side beating a drum to drown out the cry. Could you imagine that? God said it's murder. He says, you, and he made his son pass through the fire, singular, practice soothsaying, that means observe times, and use witchcraft, use enchantments. This is drug usage too, because remember in the book of Galatians, when it says the works of the flesh are evident, which are uh, uh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and then it says 
sorcery. We get the English word pharmacy from it. It's the Greek word pharmakia. We get pharmacy from that word, the use and the selling of drugs. Witchcraft. You know, in Revelation chapter 9, when you know, God was judging them, he, he says, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, pharmakia, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts, pharmakia, drugs. Was they smoking weed back then? I don't know. <clears throat> the government got so clever, they said, look, they make so much money off weed, we should legalize it. Let's find some medicinal use for it. You know, before alcohol was illegal. Now you say, oh, they had state stores. Let's build a state store. Now you can go to the supermarket and buy alcohol. You can go right in the giant and go in a little winery and go to a Whole Foods. They got a whole section. You got nothing but, you know, Coronas. And, you know, so you see people, even from church with a case of Corona, they see you, they duck in it. You'd be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Have a good time drinking, you know. And, and, you know, and this is the world we live in. Sorry about that. <laughs> it says, use witchcraft and consulted spiritists dealt with familiar spirits, and mediums, that's wizards. This was the psychic hotline of today. Mediums was like, you go into the psychic hotline, tell me my future, you know, some looking to the crystal ball, you know. I always say these people are crazy. Who would go there anyway? If, if I was a psychic, I would be rich. I wouldn't need a job because I would know how to get money. I could tell my own future to myself. I need billions. <laughs> and, and here it says that, he says that mediums, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. This is Manasseh's resume. What a long resume. What a long ra a, a resume of just evil. Could you imagine having a resume like that? What, how was you as a king? I, I was just as evil and as raunchy as I could be. This was his resume. I started at 12 years old. And you know what's the scary part about this? He had leaders around him that would have known his father that didn't rebuke him. That did not rebuke him. Judah and Manasseh was worse than the kings of Israel. When Ezekiel the prophet wrote, he said that Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they, and have justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have done. Judah already knew that the northern tribe, Israel, the ten tribes that were north, were carried away for sin and idolatry, so they were sinning against a greater light. They knew that it was wrong what they were doing. And nobody stood up to the king. And that's in our own lives. We should have people around us, friends around us. If we in sin, they can say, what are you doing on that guy house 11 o'clock at night? Well, we just, we, we, we looking at Netflix. Well, you better Netflix yourself home. You know, and we try to find all these ways to, you know, justify stuff. And, and some Christians are afraid to tell people, hey, hey, listen, that's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. That's not the, well, that's my baby father. He only come over sometime. Well, that is, I don't care. That ain't the Lord. Not going to ring your bell 3 o'clock in the morning and stuff. 
And you just wonder, should I answer it or not? This is what goes on in the church. Where we want to be accountable to one another, not because we want to be in people's business, because we love you and we don't want you to live in sin. That's why. And so you get victory. And that you can live a life and say, I am more than a conqueror because of Christ Jesus. Not because we want to know how. I don't want to know everybody's business. I just want to know that they're walking with the Lord. It brings great joy that you know that my children are walking with the Lord, John says. And that they're walking in truth. Look, the book of James says, look, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. In James chapter 4, verse 17, to you it is sin. To know what to do that is right and not do it, it is sin. To know it and know your own flesh too. Say, I can't handle if the guy walk past me and say, girl, you look good. I can't handle that. I keep on walking. I can't handle it if I go over to the girl house and she got on perfume. And she said, what's up, big boy? I can't handle that. <laughs> you better know your own flesh. There, there's, there's not joy or peace, you know, in anyone or any nation or any people that have a wicked ruler. There won't be joy. There won't be peace. And the wicked ruler, when everything goes, everything will go. The righteous, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan, the Bible says. We're not done with his resume yet. Look at verse 7. He even set a carved image of Asherah. Asherah, it, it, King James says the grove. Asherah was the goddess and wife of the god El in Canaanite mythology. Hezekiah cut down Asherah. And in 2 Kings 18.4, the prophets Isaiah in Isaiah 17.8 and Isaiah 27.9 and Micah chapter 5 verse 14. Also, they condemned Asherah. And he, he made a carved image of Asherah that he made, and look where he put it at, in the house of which the Lord has said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I put my name forever, and I will not, notice, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from land, from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful, here's the stipulation, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded, speaking about the Bible. But notice what it says, but they, not just Manasseh, his leaders and everybody, but they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced, this is the word taha in the Hebrew, is 50 times in the Old Testament, it means to err, err, to wonder, to go astray, to stagger. Manasseh had an agenda. The culture that we live in wants us to form and frame our minds to its agenda. That's why everybody got a cell phone. That's why everybody look at such and such. That's why the culture shapes us more than the church shapes the culture. The culture has seduced the church. The systemic world system dictates our way of thinking and the wickedness of this world has creeped in into the church and influenced the church. 
We have been seduced as a nation and as a people. And that seduction is rapidly handed down to our children. Before, you couldn't tell nobody what they couldn't do. Now you can't tell them what they can't be. Don't call me by my name. My name is they, okay? Well, what is a they? That's my name, they. And they say the church needs to be silenced. We need to be tolerant. We should not be bigots. We should not be the ones that speak ill will against such things. The world can be whatever. You can be whatever you want to be and nobody can say nothing. And that's just crazy. If I lay in a garage, does that mean I'm a car? If I sit down in a big bowl, that don't mean I'm an apple. I can't be whatever I want to be. You could be whatever you want. No, you can't. God created us in his image. He didn't leave room for us to be whatever we want to be unless we choose to walk away from God. It says that he seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He broke all the commandments and was driven by the devil. That's who he was led by. If you take the D from devil, what word did you get? Evil. The, the, the devil is evil. The devil is evil. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets. This was the message of more than one prophet. It would have been Isaiah was doing this time. Jonah was doing this time. Micah, Nahum would have been somewhere around this time. It says, and the Lord spoke by his servant, the prophet, saying, and this would, all the prophets said the same thing. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, had done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and also made Judah sin, notice, with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab I will wipe Jerusalem, notice, as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I don't know exactly what that is, but it don't sound good. You don't want God to turn you like a dish, you know. Imagine that. He says, so I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of the enemies. This enemy is going to be, you know what the enemy is going to be that God is going to hand them over? It's going to be a man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the captain of his army was Nebuzaradan. And when you read Jeremiah 49, you know, 15, 51, you read through that, it's some of the saddest times in, in human history. And we'll see it in 2 Kings 2, toward the end, chapter 4, 24, and parts of 24. It's some of the most awful times in the history of the nation of Judah. Because they'll be taken to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 70 years. That's when you read um, Jeremiah when he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of peace. People don't know what that is. That's Jeremiah writing a letter to those who are already taken the captivity. They were already taken the captivity. He says, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because, notice verse 15, because they have done evil in my sight 
and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, this is added to all his wickedness, Manasseh shed, notice, shed very much innocent blood. Now, rabbinic tradition tells us that Manasseh tracked down Isaiah, the prophet, and had him sawn in two. And some say that he turned him upside down and cut him straight down the middle. I don't know what that felt like, but I don't want to know what that felt like. We know in the book of Hebrews when it talks about those who had faith in the Lord, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, it says they, st they were stoned and they were sawn in two. Most people believe that's speaking of Isaiah the prophet. The same man that was with his father, praying with his father, his father's friend, contemporary, he has the man sawn in two, the prophet Isaiah. What a wicked man. Shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides his sins by which he made Judason and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't think I want a 12-year-old king. And notice what it says in verse 17. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Y'all see that in your Bible? Now, if you just look at his resume here, where would you think he ended up going to heaven or hell? Come on, tell me. What do y'all think? No, tell me a lot. What you saying? Not heaven, right? A wicked man. And I don't believe that you give up on anybody. As long as somebody got breath in their body, you don't give up on them. And I'm going to tell you one thing about Manasseh. God sometimes intervenes evil and puts a hook in that man's nose. And that very hook will be the hook that changes his entire life. And I'm going to tell you why this is so important. Hold your place, but turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 10. I'm going to show you something. Second Chronicles 33, verse 10. Look what it says. Because this is not the end of his story. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. They wouldn't listen. Therefore, the Lord brought, up them, brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, and notice what happens, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Isn't that something? He, he can't sin no more because God said, no, that's enough, Manasseh. I'm intervening now. He raises up an enemy, another king from Assyria, takes him over to Babylon with a hook in his nose. Look at verse 12. <clears throat> now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. 
and he prayed to him. Nowhere in the life of Manasseh does it ever say he prayed to the Lord except here in this verse. And he received his entreaty, and he received God, heard his supplication, notice, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. The Manasseh, notice what it says right here, knew the Lord was God. Knew the Lord was God. Now you see the resume, all this wickedness, all the things this man did, all the evil. God intervened. And he found a place of repentance. And it says he humbled himself. And he must have thought in that prison cell, my father was a righteous man, Lord. How could I live like this? My father was a great man of God. He loved you. And I was taught the right things I didn't do right. I don't know how I end up in this mess like this, Lord. How could this happen to me? How could this happen to me, Lord? I, I turn from my sins, Lord. Any sinner can be the most wicked, vile person in the entire world. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all the people's lives he messed up and everything else, they said, how in the world could he save this man? It says he knew, he, he knew the Lord was God. He knew, and his Lord there is Yahweh, or, you know, or Jehovah, and Elohim. He knew the Lord was God. Because he humbled himself. Don't give up on evil people, wicked people. Don't look at somebody your resume and say, oh, they'll never change. They'll never, they won't never change. And he's reigning for 55 years. We don't know exactly what point this is in his reign, but it's towards the end. He had years of years of doing vile and wicked things and worshiping the horoscopes and this and drinking and sending his kids to the fire and all these things. And when you read Chronicles, you say, it's hope for any sinner. Amen? It is hope for any sinner. Let us not be self-righteous people, so you know, holier than thou, looking at people. Oh, look at them. They'll never change. Oh, look at, look at their life. Really? And notice what it says in verse 14. Stay in Chronicles with me for a minute. After this, he built a wall outside of the city of David on the west side of Gehan. In the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed um, Ophel, and he raised it to a very high, great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. This genuine repentance produces action. Action and a sense of restitution. Do you understand that? You think you owe something when God changes your life. At least I thought I did. Almost you read Zacchaeus. He said, look, if I cheated anybody, I'll pay them fourfold. You know, and, you know, and Jesus said, oh, no, the Son of Man has come to seek and say that which was lost. And, you know, in Luke 19, he said, if I cheated anybody, I'll pay them fourfold. And he had a feast. He said, Lord, come on over my house. You have a sense of restitution when you've been forgiven of sin. And here he has this sense of genuine repentance, and it produces action. Don't say you're repenting of something and you stay there. No. Well, I, I went to a prayer meeting the other night, and they had me, they, you know, and we all came to the altar, and, and I, I gave up all my liquor. Really? Did you go home and throw it all out? If you didn't go home and throw it all out, you didn't get rid of all of your liquor. 
And here is action here. Notice verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. There's hope for anyone. This is genuine repentance. This is genuine repentance. Well, I don't want to fornicate no more. Well, 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 do you, well, what do you mean you don't want to fornicate? Tell me what that means. Because you got to drive over to the person's house and, you know, you got to do something to, do to, to fornicate. But you got to participate. It's not like, ta-da, we fornicated. I don't want to stop lying. I'm like, no, I, you, you got to start telling the truth. God allows us to be a part of repentance. And here, this man, no way in the world you look at this man and say, God could never change this man. Oh, yeah? Stop giving up on people so fast. Stop giving. If you don't know Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how evil you are. You can come to the Lord just as you are, and he'll change you. He'll do the changing. And this man's life was nothing like we think it is. He was a well, Manasseh was evil. You know, look at all the stuff he did. Really? Look at all the stuff we did. How many, how many of y'all know all the stuff you did? Oh, and what about the secret stuff you did that nobody know about but you and the Lord? Any of y'all know about that stuff? Huh? We got the video. Shoot that video, Josh. No. All the stuff we did. And you know, sin looks so much worse than another person. All the stuff I didn't did. Look, my resume, I did so many crazy things before coming to Christ. I could write a book on them about how to be crazy. I'm telling you. The parties and the good times. I'm not glorifying none of it. But I could look back and say, how in the world could I ever try to be so judgmental again, towards anybody? I remember a guy at the YMCA. He came in one Sunday. He was so drunk. He was doing like the railing back. And I said, he said, I said, brother, what in the world did you have today? I had two six packs before I got here. I said, phew. I said, what'd you drink? He said, Bud Light. I said, woohoo. I said, do me a favor, man. Next week, just do one. So he came back next Sunday. He said, I said, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Then he kept coming before you know it, he wasn't drinking no more. Because whoever's without sin, you cast the first stone. When you think about the Apostle Paul, Paul said that, and I thank Christ, Jesus our Lord, who has established me, enabled me rather, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
Paul was the chief of sinners. We were the Indians of sinners. We were something. We were in that range. And Manasseh was a dirty, filthy, powerful man filled with sin. And the Bible says, you know what happened to him? It says, and then he knew, and then he knew the Lord. Then he knew that the Lord was God. Look, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son the world might be saved. And we can be in church so long we become self-righteous and we don't even realize it. We start measuring sin in the wrong way and it looks so much worse when you look at the next person's condition. And you say, hey, such was some are we. I mean, some of y'all in here might have been perfect before y'all came to the Lord, but I wasn't. If you're perfect, please stand up. I want to meet you. Because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there was none righteous, no, not one. In Ecclesiastes 7, 20, says there's not one just man. None is righteous. And I'm saying, shoot, thank you, Lord. Because our righteousness is yet but, Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness is yet but filthy rags. Filthy rags. It's his righteousness that's been imputed to us. Manasseh in that prison or that cell, and the Lord comes there and says, hey, hey, buddy, I hear your cry. I love you. I love you. Greater love has no man than this that he would lay in his life for his friends. I love you guys. All of us was Manasseh. Just a different dose of him. His name means forgetting. We forgot all about that God loved us. And then one day we realized, hey, by the way, he does love me. It's amazing. Turn back to 2 Kings in 21 and we'll look at verse 18 and we'll finish this chapter. It says, so Manasseh rested with his fathers. And was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Yiza. Then his son Ammon, Ammon, reign, Ammon reigned in his place. Ammon, he reigns in his place. And here Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. So his father had him when he was 45 years of age. So he witnessed at least 20 years of his father's wicked living, but he also lived to see his father's repentance. Because Manasseh would die at, you know, 67, because he was king at 12, and he reigned for 55 years. 12 and 55 is 67, so he would be 67 when he dies. His son, he was 45 years old when his son is born. His son saw the bad side of his life, and then he saw the other side of his life. It's interesting, isn't it? He was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name, this is a long name, Meshelameth. Meshelameth means restitution. The daughter of Heraz, which means gold, of Jotba. Jotba, which means pleasantness. So Ammon names means trustworthy. His mother name means restitution. 
the daughter, her father named Gol, and they were from Jotbo in Judah. And so if you put all that together, it's interesting what it could say. A trustworthy soul seeks repentance and restoration, and it's like refined gold, and it produces pleasantness in the heart of man. And here this man could have been something else. He saw both sides of his father's life, and it says, choose you today who you're going to serve. Who do you mimic as a Christian? What other Christians do you have? Of course, Jesus is our model. But what other Christians you can look at their life and say, that person loved the Lord. That person loves Jesus. That person is consistent in their walk. That person is consistently at prayer. That person is consistently serving. That person is consistently reading their word. What person do you have around you like that, that you can glean from their life and say, wow, I don't have to get close, but from afar I can say, that's a Christian. Oh, that's a Christian. And here he had a father that was wicked and he had to make a choice. But look what his choice was. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. 19 times this phrase is mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. 54 times totally in the Old Testament did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was the resume of all the northern kings. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh. Notice what it says, had done. Had, past tense. So he walked in all the ways of his father, and his fathers had walked, and served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Notice, then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. He's 24 years old and he gets killed. Because he became king at 22. Two years later, they kill him. Isn't that something? He died, notice, not like his father died. He died without being able to repent of his sins. And never said that he was on his bed crying out to the Lord. He died and didn't get a chance to repent of his sins. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Amon. Then the people of the land, notice that when the people of the land make the king, you got to watch out. The people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Josiah is eight years old. Joash was six when he was king. Josiah is eight years old. The second youngest king to be in place. He brings in the greatest spiritual reform in the entire nation. This is now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And he was buried in the tomb in the garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. I can't wait till we get to Josiah, which is next week, but I'll stop there. The question for all of us tonight, it's a real important question. How patient are we with people? How patient are you with people? Like when you see somebody and you say, oh man, look at this person. Oh, here come old drunken Charlie coming to the cookout. Come here, niece, give me a kiss. You know, oh boy, here he comes. <laughs> and you ducking them and on. How patient are we with people? And you know what that means? When we're patient with people, God gives us opportunity. You know, we can wait like a farmer, the hardworking, you know, farmer is the first to partake of the crop. You know, we can wait 
and we can see people's lives and we can see how bad their lives are. We can see that. But we could also see how mighty and how great God is to save them. He's mighty to save. He saved Paul, Peter, and all those. Peter and them was drunken fishermen. Save them and use them. Evangelism is telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That Christ was crucified, and we leave out this part all the time, time that he was buried in a tomb, the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That Jesus came to save sinners. That's what he did. He came <laughs> while we were yet still sinners. Christ died for what? The ungodly. You read Romans chapter 5. It sobers you up. So when it says that we were God enemies. <laughs> wow. Now we saying, if God before us, who could be against us? We were his enemies. Who do you have in your vicinity, around you, that God is prompting you, look, go tell him about me. Go tell him about me. Go tell him about me. Not come to Calvary Chapel at my church. No. Jesus loves you. Jesus got a plan for your life. He loves you. Who do you have around you like that? Or have you positioned yourself to be around sinners? Or have you positioned yourself to never be around sinners? I just want a Christian life. I want to work at a Christian job. I want a Christian basketball team. I want a Christian golf team. I want a Christian, you know, glee club. Because you can have a Christian insulated life and forget about sinners. And God uses us to be a part of that work. He uses us to be a part of that work. And this wicked king would have never picked this guy. We'll meet him in heaven. When he died, we'll meet him in heaven. He'll see his, his father Hezekiah there. We'll see him in heaven. What was it like being king at 12 years old? What was it like? Everything was old-fashioned to me. I wanted to change everything. Let me tell you something, especially y'all, whoever it is, some, a lot of y'all under 30. Everything is not old-fashioned that's wrong, though. It's not wrong for the God to open the door for you. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to have your first kiss with somebody you walked in the aisle with at your wedding date. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to be a virgin. That's not wrong. The world always say, eat the cookies before they're done. No, 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 that's wrong. We tell the girls all the time, don't give them your door keys and don't give them your cookies. And we're not talking about Oreos. So the Lord loves you. He got a plan for your life. Amen. Know your worth in Christ. And when you know your worth in Christ, you'll know the worth of a lost soul. And the person that wins souls is wise. That's what the Bible says. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's give the Lord a big praise tonight if you love Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us, Lord, your grace, your hand upon our life for good, Lord. No good thing will you withhold from them that walk upright before you, Lord. We, we love you, Lord. We, we care about you. We, we know that you have everything we need, Lord, um, found in your book, your story, basic instructions before leaving earth, Lord, the word of the living God, every precept, every jot and tittle, Lord, uh, 
Your word won't return void. Whatever you send it out to do, that it will accomplish, Lord. We pray, Lord, for that lost person that don't know you and think that they can never come to you because of their condition. That's not true, Lord. The Bible says you're ready to forgive. You're full of mercy. You're full of grace, Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, even now, Lord, that you would speak to the hearts of those, Lord, who say, Lord, here I am. I'm broken. I'm without hope. I have no strength. And we know that strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, even now, Lord, for that one person or that hundreds of people that need to know Jesus Christ, that they would turn and give their life to you tonight. Today is the acceptable time to give your life to Christ. Today is the time to say, Lord, I'm ready, Lord. Save me. I'm tired. I'm tired of sin. Make me who you want me to be, Lord. I know you love me. I know you died for me. I know you care for me. And I know you're speaking directly to me. And so, Lord, save that person tonight, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. And it's in the matchless name of Christ we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. 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 Listen, I want to do this tonight before we leave. If you've got people that you want to pray for to get saved, you say, look, I know people, I really want to win them to Christ. They're a headache, but I want to win them to Christ.